I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for its Savage Critics website. Flying at you in four-color glory, it is episode 117, with Graham McMillan and I matching wits for just a hair over two hours of comic book double talk. Topics in the hopper today include Batman Incorporated number 8 by Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham, the 17th issues of Legion of Superheroes, Flash, and Batman and Robin, Reed Fleming, The World's Toughest Milkman by the brilliant cartoonist David Boswell, Saga Number 10, Prophet 34, The Strangers, Bad Machinery, Angel and Faith, Young Avengers, Hawkeye, Jennifer Blood, and much, much more. Please check out our show notes over at SavageCritic.com for full details, and as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff, yeah. I think, you know normally, that we go, bye! Yes. I'm going to say something different this week. I'm going to go, hello! <laughs> Why? Because you're bizarro, Graham McMillan? Is that what happened? Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goodbye, Jeff Lester. <laughs> this, um, what, wait? <laughs> <laughs> we should do that for, like, the April 1st podcast, just as long as we could. I mean, we'll probably last all of, like, me, 27 seconds, but... It, it would be bizarro crazy. talk is hard man it seriously is like you go back and you read that stuff and you're like it it's more a rhythm than an actual coherent structure you know like cause yeah because because it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. like it really doesn't because the me um and then sometimes it's the opposite of what he means and sometimes it's actually what he means it's actually what he means exactly exactly some things get reversed but other things totally don't as far as the concepts and stuff what i'm saying is this it's surreal to me jeff yes that the idea of an entirely chaotic, nonsensical language doesn't conform to logic. <laughs> I know. Well, that's it. I, but, you know, that sounds completely crazy. Uh, but that is, that's how we're used to thinking of absurdity. You know what I mean? Like, usually absurd This stuff, absurdity doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> exactly. Whereas, like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, when you look at the stuff like in Alice in Wonderland or that sort of concept, like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I see they're taking this conceit and they're kind of doing blank with it. So I, it kind of sort of makes, you know, there's that weird thing of there's times when it makes quote-unquote sense and there's times when it's like... um like my niece is like three years old and we were with her the other day and she's trying, you know, she's really trying to get humor, you know, and kids <laughs> don't understand humor. You know what I mean? Like oh, they no, don't... But, but also they love laughter. Oh, we, exactly. we have a, a kid in the neighborhood who's, who's three as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's at the stage where she knows that if she said something that's weird, you'll laugh. Yes. So then she'll just keep saying it. Right. And it's one of those, no, it's funny once, it's not funny again. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, but, that, you know, so she'll be like, whatever, you know, whatever. Like, say the thing that makes her laugh is she's like, banana cream pie. Mm-hmm. And everyone will laugh. And then she'll be like, two banana cream pies. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you're kind of like, do I have to, like, should I try to explain that that's not how it works? That that's not <laughs> twice as funny? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's, it's not twice as funny. Um, yeah, sometimes it's actually half as funny or like I was, I was reading a book with my niece and at one point, like you t- 
turning the pages of the book, like the cat had like jumped up onto the mantelpiece or something like that. I don't because it was startled. Anyway, we turn the page and she points to the cat and goes, "That's funny." And I'm just like, "There's no, there's not, no, there's not." (laughs) No, it's really not. But thanks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I I understand her frustration because I she gets the idea that humor has something to do with things that are out of place. For example. You know, or that surprise element, but she can't really figure out like what funny really is. You know, and I think that's great. All of which is to say, so there's that thing about bizarro stuff. When you do it right, it seems like bizarro. It seems like bizarro, and if it's done wrong, it sort of seems like when a three year old is trying to tell you a joke. You know? Yeah, exactly. This, we should have like if we ever did guests, which we don't, because both of us are are far too anxious to ever make guests happen. It's true. But if we did guests, we should have Mark Wade on to explain bizarre language. Oh, see, I was just hoping you'd say that we'd have a three year old on. <laughs> <laughs> we'd have three year old Mark Wade. We get in our time bubble. Perfect. And, and yeah. travel back. Everyone's happy. <laughs> Except I don't know, three year old Mark Wade. I suspect. Um, be fine. He'll be like, you mean I? I don't. Right, Superman? What what the fuck? <laughs> right. I don't understand what cruel, bizarro world you've brought me to. So, 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 so Jeff, here's yes. my thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but, you know, I was hanging out with Damien Wayne the other week, and I, <laughs> I lent him $10, and I was trying to call him to like so he could pay me back, and he, the fucker's just not answering his phone this week. <laughs> it's like something's going on with him. Spoilers, everyone. Uh... <laughs> I, I spoiled nothing. I know. Well, yes, exactly. So I thought this would be this would be probably topic A. But well, yeah, just for people just, knowing yeah. going in, this is definitely going to be the spoilerific uh, episode. We're not. I'm not even really going to bother to dress but also, anything up here. Can we just say if you're listening to this, we're spoiling something that was revealed by the mainstream press more than a week ago when you're listening. True. True. The, the... And it happened in a comic that came out five days ago. Yeah. No, I know, but still sometimes... I mean, the thing that is great is it seems like almost impossible that the people can't know just because... Like DC, I mean, like like it comics experience. Like uh, Hibbs was telling Matt, like, listen, so for people who are buying Batman Incorporated Inc. number eight, you should tell them that every other DC book out this week spoils it. So... If they really want to get the maximum enjoyment to read Batman Inc. 8 first. Although, you know what else spoils it? The cover of Batman Incorporated number 8. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, but but how do I put it? That's spoiling within the realm of the tension oh, is of... It, yeah, yeah, is it? it Willy, won't he? It's, right. What's really funny is I knew this was happening as of uh, last Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get an email from Michael Dran Newsarama. Mm-hmm. Being like, this is embargoed. You can't do anything with this. This is like blah blah blah. But we're doing coverage, and you should know that this is happening. Can you write X and Y mm-hmm. for next week? Um, the same day, I get comps from DC, <laughs> not including Batman Incorporated number eight. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. okay. Uh huh. And in the back of it, in Channel Fifty Two. Yeah, the Channel Fifty Two thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And so it's like, well, I'm glad that I was spoiled. You know, two hours before I read this. Otherwise, that would have been a letdown. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about the DC Fifty Two two page strips? Um, for a I second? have to say, I weirdly like them. I but do I, too. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can see why lots of people don't. Well, here's my thing. There's two problems. One, I actually weirdly like them, but they're set up wrong. 
I think. Because to me, it's like, I mean, the the Robin thing being the worst offender in that it's just like, hey, and in other news, here's our spoiler for, you know, a big major event. But just tell me where to find the fucking books. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, it, it is a problem. That, yeah. The, the, for this week's, for example, there's the Firestorm is fighting Teen Titans, which, you know, you're like, okay, that's either Teen Titans or Firestorm. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the cover of Firestorm, it's like, versus the Teen Titans. And you're like, okay, that must be the comic. Right. But the one where it's like complicating matters even further was the appearance of a new hero seemingly related to Teen Titans whose name and power level John 52 have not yet been able to determine. I'm honestly like, what the fuck is that got to do with it? Like, yeah. where is that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, even though it just seems completely obvious, like, take the second to be, like, you know, have a little <laughs> box. Like, Morin. Yeah, exactly. In, you know, Hawkman 12, like, 17, on sale now. Like, that's all I want. That's the main thing. Because the rest of it, I think, is actually sort of cutesy and... Um... I have to say, I love Vartalks as a sports Yes. Commentator. Yeah, Like, yeah, there's yeah. something so bizarre about mm-hmm. that that I'm like, sure... Yeah, I can totally get behind this. I have to say, I like the tone of it mm-hmm. more than I like the tone of most DC comics these days. Well, yeah, actually, and that's the other thing that's kind of weird is I do. I mean, it's just a there's little... such dissonance. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's like, hey, this it's is like, hey, this is jaunty and fun. Better not read the book; you'll get depressed. <laughs> Well, isn't that one of the things that's really weird? Is like the Dio's like this super guiding force for the DC new 52 in a way and yet you know when you pick up omac it was like the most atypical of the new 52 books you know and enjoyable for that reason well I mean, it has to be said i i think that omac is a weirdly um I, i'll try it again i think that dio is a weirdly upbeat writer in mm-hmm. a really strange way mm-hmm. um but i wonder if that's almost because he's not good at putting his thoughts down on paper for want of a better way of putting it mm. i wonder if the the sturm and drying the everything is really important and you know we've raped your childhood intentionally is is what he thinks works and then like he's just like yeah but i can't write that i can write this sort of tongue-in-cheek shit right well right or that he wants to but he's aware that it doesn't sell and so it gives himself a certain amount of leeway but yeah his his whole formula of what actually works which I think is probably part of the reason why half of this stuff seems so capricious and forced anyway, is it's not really a natural extension of, I guess, his own instincts. You know, it's much closer, like, as we were kind of talking about last week with Justice League of America number one, um, Jeff Johns seems to generally have a good idea of how to mix fan service with new stuff, with kind of grim and gritty, oh, this is important, with with just weird, you know, with the occasional weird, super weird bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I feel like everyone's trying to imitate that tone and either, you know, editorially it's being mandated, but even the editors themselves are kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's not my cup of tea, you know. I would really... <laughs> exactly. But, you know, th- this is what they like. Right. I think, that, I think that's a real problem with DC in general. I mm-hmm. think they're trying to second-guess the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what comes off is insincere as well as not very good. Right. Like, I, I think you, I think the reader can pick up on stuff that may not be your taste, but it's sincere. Mm, yeah, maybe. I, and then there, I think there's a lot of stuff. I, I, 
your mention of OMAC reminds me. Did you read uh, Legion of Superheroes last week, which is the first Keith Giffen issue? No, but I saw the cover and almost picked it up, like, kind of automatically. I felt I was amazed at how strong a stab of nostalgia I had from seeing You shouldn't have picked it up. You did the right thing. <laughs> oh, no, I, really? I was say, yeah, it was, it made me, reading it made me think, huh, I guess Dan Dio was the talent behind OMAC then. <laughs> God, <laughs> it's really, really, really weird. If this is the thing, I am incre- I have incredible nostalgia for Legion of Superheroes. I have incredible mm-hmm. nostalgia for Levitt's and Giffen's Legion of Superheroes. Yes, right. If their names were not on this book, this is the sort of thing that I would be like throwing across the room and just deriding in every possible way. It is a terrible book. It is truly, truly, truly terribly done. Uh, um, yes, okay. And, and Giffen's Kirby-esque stylings mm-hmm. are so wrong here in a way that they were so right for Mac. Interesting. It It is just, it's a, a crazy misfire. Hmm. Um, in a way that makes the earlier Levitz run, by which I mean the 16 issues before this, right. seem better in context. And they were they were weak to to be fair, like you know, right. that's being polite. Yeah, they being very no. generous. Right. Uh, and and yeah, this was just horrendous, horrible. And it really is. It's the worst of Levitz and the worst of Giffen. Wow. And oh. you can totally tell that Giffen is plotting it, because the plot is so hilariously choppy and overly dramatic in a way that only Giffen does. Hmm, that's really funny. Um, yeah, it's 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 terrible, oh. and, and it makes me think. It makes me wonder whether the fact that Giffen's only on for two issues mm-hmm. is maybe because Levitz was like, "This is working out." Oh, really? So, like, right? There was like they stepped in and it was great, and then he was like, "No, this is not." I see. Interesting. Wow. Well, uh, do you, it, is it just the? So, is it? Do you mind a little more details for those? Of it us it is. So the plot is: mm-hmm. it starts out off in media res at a disaster. There is a mysterious disaster that has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phantom Girl, who is the leader as of the last issue, crawls out of uh, the the shuttle she was in, which has crashed, and she's like, "How did it crash? Why is all our tech gone wrong?" And Polar Boy appears, and he's like, "Oh, all our tech went wrong, but at least Sun Boy guided us down safely." And then they go and find that Sun Boy is dead, and his head has been crushed by machinery. <laughs> and like he's got glass coming out of his body, and they're like, "This can't be happening! Oh no!" Spoilers. Sunboy will be eaten by aliens before the end of the issue. <laughs> I'm really not joking. Do you mean his body, or do you yes. mean okay? It, no, his corpse is eaten by aliens later in the issue. Wow! It then cuts to another planet, and the and other legionnaires are like, "Technology has stopped working. What's going on? I don't understand it." Cuts back to Phantom Girl and and uh, Polar Boy, and there's another one, Invisible Kid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't know where we are. Oh, we're uh, we're living on a planet built on the Promethean Giants, which is the... I don't know if it was actually part of the fourth... I don't think it was, but it's part of fourth world mythology in DC's post-Kirby. Oh, I see. Um, like, which is, the, sort of, this, they're, they're like the giants built into the source the, wall or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and they're living. They're on a planet. They've crash-landed on, essentially, a world that has been built on one of these giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the inhabitants have eaten Sunboy. <laughs> uh, no, no, really, that's it. And it ends with the Promethean giant is waking up. Ah, uh, hmm. 
Hmm. And, and then it cuts back to like the Fatal Five, and they're like, "Our plan is working." <laughs> it's just, it's so amazingly choppy, but so incredibly, like over the top. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of them is dead. He's not just dead. He's fucking eaten. He's eaten by aliens. <laughs> And, you know, Levis is having to dialogue this, and his dialogue is is terrible because it really is. I can't believe how could this happen? <laughs> I like you. You honestly get the feeling that Levis is just like <laughs> that would be the best. Like his characters are like, I can't believe how is this happening? One day I went to bed, the head of a successful corporation, and I wake up the next morning, and everything's in ruins. Yes, exactly. Things are being eaten. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. Ideas are being cannibalized right before my very eyes. No, no, but but here are here are actual lines of dialogue from the comic. Crazy. Everything's falling apart. Mm-hmm. I can't even get our Navicomp read on where the hell we are, and it's certainly hell. I can't believe this. <laughs> it's certainly hell. I mean, this is just terrible. <laughs> Terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. Oh man, I have to say, uh, I that is that is a shame. I don't believe it. Tell me, those little monsters didn't eat Dirk? <laughs> and the panel before that, by the way, uh-huh. has them going. Has Fandor going? This can't be real. And Polarboy going. Smells like cooking. Cuts through the aliens with a spit and a fire, and, and uh, Sunboy's costume is off to the side. Oh no. No, really. Wow. It's terrible. Terrible. Wow. It's it's appallingly bad. It is. Really, it's the, I'm giving up on Legion of Superheroes, and that says a lot. <laughs> issue. It's it's appalling. And the best part is, I'm sure I'm going to say this, and then people will be in the comments being like, you don't know, no, it's great, the old magic is back. It's not, you're fooling yourself. This is an appallingly bad comic. It's staggeringly bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. That is a drag. <laughs> Part of me is always like, hey, when it goes to one ninety nine on digital. Right. Like, I, pick it up. I may pick it up. Yeah, seriously, pick it up and read it. Yeah. show that it is. <laughs> it's, it's appallingly bad. God, what I would give for, like, DC to be honest and just have, like, a, sh- you know, Comixology shit show sale. Like, these stank, <laughs> yeah. but at 99 cents, you gotta read them. And just books that, you exactly. know... Come on, it's 99 cents, everyone. Yeah. Don't, don't you really want to read this? Seriously, if they did, like, you know, Justice League Detroit at 99 cents, mm-hmm. and we're like, hey, continuity freaks, it's vibe. Everyone else, it's the Justice League that everyone makes fun of. It make a fucking fortune. Totally, totally. I would be all over half that. It'd be startling, the stuff that they'd be able to sell me, just with that degree of, of candor and discount pricing. So, um... Hey! Talking about comics that uh, everyone thinks are terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read Action Comics 17. Oh, you did? Yes. I, I quasi-disagree and quasi-entirely agree with what you are saying last week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Here's the thing. Yeah. As, as a comic by itself, mm-hmm. it's a fucking mess. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nothing happens in it, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like a 40-page comic where nothing happens, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. Yeah. As a chapter of the ongoing series, right. I kind of thought it was great, mm-hmm. and I, I like. I, I know the two were completely at odds with each other. Right. There was so much I loved about it, while also thinking this is terrible. Mm. Well, I get that. I totally do get that. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why I was just kind of like, 
I was frustrated with the book, but like I said, I was kind of, you know, even at the time, I'm like, I'm sure if I sat down and I'd read the rest of the previous chapters and I'd been caught up, it would work for me in that way that you're talking about, but... But as as an individual issue, it's terrible. Yes, it's an individual issue that I paid $4 for. Yeah, um, yeah, I was was really frustrated, so... um, But I... In terms of like the overalls, also I have to say, for some reason, the cover was the first time I ever realized that the bad guys called vindictive. Oh, I because I'm not sure. Honestly, there was only one mention of it previously. Like I think um, Mr. Mitzelplick's wife mentions his name once in a previous issue, and I caught it then that it was like vindictives or whatever. Yeah, it's vindictive X or yeah, vind- yeah, yeah, vindictive whatever it is. It was very clear and also very. Um, Again, very, yeah, me, I, very I, clever. I, I, I totally missed that. And then I was like, oh, Vindictive, that's actually kind of smart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I loved the um, the meta commentary of the evil Superman, which I thought was spectacular. Oh, yeah. no, I, the, loved, right. I loved that he calls himself a corporate franchise with his corporate demands to crush the opposition. And then that when he pulls his mask off, he calls himself the Knight with a K, and has horns coming out of his head like Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's all that really interesting stuff. I love the callbacks to the earlier issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also, it's like, also, the only thing that happens in the comic in terms of, like, narrative momentum yeah. is that Lex Luthor appears in the very last page. Yes. Yeah, which I don't even think was set up on some of the previous issues. Oh, no, no, then... no, no. That's literally from out of nowhere. Yeah, and so I'm like, ugh. And so even when it starts... Even if that ends up being the framing, um, yeah, no, there's so much that actually is. There's so much in there. Yes, without anything happening. Yeah, exactly. It, it, there's a lot in there, but yeah, it's 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 really badly paced as an individual issue. It may work it, if this was even part like they had like an additional two issues left or something, I'd be a little more potentially generous. But yeah, I definitely was. It was kind of... And a, oh no, even if I'd... You know, even if Morrison wasn't stepping off this series, mm-hmm. this would be a terrible issue. Yeah. Because it's a terrible issue. Right. Yeah, as a terrible as a thing, as a unit on its own, it, uh, it is not good. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you uh, read it. That's interesting to me. Um... Do you think we should do a segue into Batman Incorporated number eight, or since we can continue on the Morrison train, or was yes? There... Let, let's keep going on Batman Incorporated number eight. And before we do so, I want to say this: people in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. um, you will be familiar with Excalibur Comics, which yes. is my local comic store. Um, I own Batman Incorporated number eight because the gentleman serving in Excalibur Comics sold me his copy yesterday, and I want to call that out on the podcast as being a lovely thing. Yeah. That is uh, not only that, it was not the only book he did that for. Not to me, but he was telling me that he'd also sold his copy of Hawkeye issue eight. Wow. Um, to another customer who came in and was like, I love Hawkeye, have you sold out? And he was like, I've got one copy left, it's my copy, and then he gave it to him, which I think is lovely. And I hands hands up to that guy, I think that's yeah. wonderful. I yeah. really, really that's that's going above and beyond. It's true. People who like comic book stores, very much like old school comic stores. I mean, I know that Graham's specifically talking to people who show or shop in the Portland area, but um, I adore Excalibur and was going up there, like, even even back in the 90s. It's just a, it's a, it's an awesome, classic, old school comic shop uh, where you can get, they even have those classic, amazing, like, 
weird deals that you can find nowhere else um kind of thing like the uh <laughs> like they they had bought up like the you can still find i think copies of love and rockets like fly on the ceiling whatever trade paperback that is there for like a dollar up there still because they bought a you know an entire box of them when like fanographics warehouse flooded or something they're great i i definitely let me second that but yeah sell having a retailer sell their own book to to someone is definitely one of those like that's really going above and beyond you know it really is i thought it was really lovely yeah and so you know Thumbs up to him. And this sounds like weirdly vain, but it's not meant to be. Like, he doesn't know I write on the internet. He doesn't know I do a podcast. Right. So it's not like he was doing it in terms of, like, maybe we'll get some publicity. He just did it because he's a nice guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. I believe that because I have been in there. And, yeah, they they do treat you like they have no idea who you are, Graham, which is... That's because they don't, which is intentional. Yes, exactly. (laughs) No, no, no. I know they're just acting, and they're really good. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, oh, I do have to say, thanks to all of this stuff, I read the Constantine sneak preview before we move into Batman and Corporate. Oh, hey, so what did you think? Huh? Oh my god, that was so bad. First off, I have to, I really impressed at how bad the logo is, too. Like, let me just say, like, when they've got the logo on the first page of the sneak preview and they put it in red and orange. Yes, it's the coloring that makes it especially bad. Doesn't it? it? It looks like, I'm like, oh my god, they used exactly the same logo and color treatment for I think a tie-in comic they did for a a toy line for cars, you know, like it really is just that out, it just that mismatched. But can we also say that the color for the artwork is also horribly garish? Uh, yeah, yeah. We I think we can say that. I don't know if that's like something. It's apparently a choice they decided to give the art some. De- you know, quote-unquote well, depth or something? I, I want to say that Renato Guides has been using this type of coloring for a while. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember when he was doing Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, Action Comics he's doing for a while. Um, it looked like this. Mm-hmm. And so it might even be him coloring. Maybe. Uh, but it's it is... It's it's just... It seems wrong. Like, yeah. it, it seems far too pop, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. than, than not even... This used to be Hellblazer. This is terrible. But then the idea of a relatively down-to-earth magician should have. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, admittedly, this opening is definitely a very weird sort of super dramatically dramatic-y type chapter, but um, excerpt. But yeah, I just I was I was not digging it at, at any step of the way, unfortunately. So it it is, and also I have to say, after five page preview, the fact that the last two pages are a double page spread <laughs> uh, makes no sense to me. But I do love that their cliffhanger for the preview is we showed you Sargon and mentioned him once the previous page. Now it's a woman. Yes, like if that's the thing that's meant to draw me into the book. Yeah, really. Yeah. I know. It was like, that oh, character no. character you've heard of once and was a man? Yeah. Now it's a woman. Yeah, no, exactly. It's Constantine versus the transgendered sorcerers. I don't... Like, it really is just a bad... And it's all... It, ugh, it's just not good. It's not good. Because, yeah, Sargon is like, hey, now I'm a woman. And also, I have put your character in a thing. Like, honestly, I just don't have any sense of what's going on there. Like, you know the, what there's I mean? red rings and they're 
and they're going around his legs, but like individual legs. So I don't know if that's a big deal or not. Cause yeah, it's not like they're him together. Right, exactly. Like, oh no, he's bound up in this. Yeah, it's just a mess. And I know that they were thinking like. I'm sure Jeff Lemire was like, oh, this is great. They're going to have this showdown in uh, this leftover set from a James Bond movie. And then, but I'm going to make it like big because we're going to have like flames and things melting. And then he's like, okay, and you draw, you know, <laughs> congratulations. Well, You've got guy who does, draws everything in close up. Good luck. You know? Well, the other thing is, it's not even guy who draws everything in close up. Look at the first page of the preview. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have the character who's called Chris, okay? And he goes, whoa, this is a hotel. John, look at this place. And John goes, yeah, it's gorgeous. Pay the driver, okay? I'll get the ride back. Wouldn't it be great if you could see the hotel? But you can't. It's behind all the fucking yeah, lettering. Behind the word balloons. I know. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. And then you're checking in. And then, you know, at least if you're like me, you're you like... Don't really see anything. You're like, hey, look, it's all pretty color backgrounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a drag. It's terrible. It's really, really, really bad. Yeah, it's one it, of those it's, things. That and it's it, it's one of those things that seems especially bad because everyone was so upset about Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those comics that you're like, okay, DC must have realized this is going to be higher profile than it would normally be. So they're really put out, pull out all the stops. And right. they must know that because that's why they put a five-page preview in the comics. Right. But then you read it and you're like, oh, so they just shot this out. It it feels like it. It feels like well, and it, I think it it's that thing that we were talking about last week. DC has no bench. You know what I mean? They don't have another plus person that they can go to. You know what I mean? Like if Brad Meltzer blows them off that week, like suddenly they're to Greg Pack, which Greg Pack is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I have, but <laughs> that'd be good backtracking. Suddenly there's a Greg Pack, which is fine. Yeah, no, but I mean, is is fine. Greg Pack is fine, but he's not the same level of draw. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing with like Jeff Lemire, where I think that he's, you know, you're like, yeah, bump him off, and you know, DC is like dead in the water in like three months or whatever. But I think even with that, I'm like, ugh, you know, like no, but that's just it. He's the third biggest writer they have now, Jeff. I know, and that's what I'm saying. Like reading this, I was like, man, they really should have gone and gotten Snyder. Except they don't. I'm sure they didn't think that there would be. You know, it's that weird thing of like we're bringing out all the stops, but maybe not that many stops because we're never going to get hell. You know, Constantine selling above like forty five thousand copies. We're, t- we're taking all the stops, but worlds. Constantine's going to die in a year. <laughs> Con- Constantine will not last two years. Can we just admit that right now? You know, I I have to say there's somebody who I, I heard say exactly the same thing just the other day. So, was it you? <laughs> It was Hibbs. Damn it! Why do you have to do that to me? I figured this. I'm like, it's bad enough. I put myself in a corner. Yeah, Edie. Edie said no, really. that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not though, is it? I mean, it just. It just won't. Looking at the way that DC Comics sell, mm-hmm. there is. There is no way this book's gonna last two years. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, bear in mind that all we are at what issue? We're at the 18th month, the 17th month of the New 52, right? Yes. Only 33 of the original 52 books have lasted this long. Right. That's... Constantine... You know, I can't see Constantine lasting an additional seven months after that. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I... I it, seems, it seems unlikely to me, too. Uh, although, yeah, we'll see. I mean, of course, part of the problem is, is that I feel that everyone's aware... 
like the worst thing they ever did was market the new 52 as the new 52. They clearly needed some kind of marketing something, but I think everyone has this uncomfortable concept of like, you know, talk about creativity by the numbers. It's like, well, they're going to have 52 titles no matter what, you know? And so the next time a book gets pooped out, you're like, yeah, but they don't really have any passion for this. They don't really have any, like, they had to get another book out because they're canceling. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, they, they could put out the greatest book. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, like, the initial announcement would be, well, that's just to fill in the numbers. And then when that gets canceled. Right, exactly. There'll, there'll be another one. Yeah. It, it, it really does reduce the idea of the book being a special thing in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. It just it just becomes one more little bit of, of retail cannon fodder. And, uh, and yeah, that just, I think, feels ugh, such a huge mistake. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're 17 min months into committing to it. So, um, so yes, uh, sorry, I meant to actually talk about Batman Incorporated number eight, which I really liked. I thought was a really clever little well-done issue, especially, you know, because it's, you know, you you know what's coming, but the way that he builds to it, I suppose, is kind of... You know, he really does tuck at your heartstrings, doesn't he? He because, really does. Because, like, this issue is clearly, clearly written from the point of view of, you know what's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And so every line that Robin says, everything that he says, has this extra level of, you know, oh shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically, of this, this is kind of heartbreaking, this is tragic. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's, he was thinking, well, this is going to be spoiled ahead of time, or I will spoil it ahead of time, mm -hmm. or this will be so much better on reread and it will like it will just seem like a normal dialogue on first read but then on reread it'll have extra poignancy right do you yeah. know what I mean like I can't tell which one is but almost everything that Robin says just hurts that little bit more mm -hmm. especially the whole we were the best thing I love does. that page that page is just wonderful I mean uh, and and it is it's totally I mean it, there's there's a way in which it's sort of half Morrison patting himself on the back but it really is just the it tugs at your heartstrings because it's like yeah the two characters that you know were always you know he was always at his throat and for him to turn around and go you know I have to say you know so far I'd have to say you've been my favorite partner I was just like oh uh. and then the next page we should do this more often yes oh god really <laughs> really you are literally just twisting the knife at this point yes well and also additionally I don't know if it was in Morrison's uh, instructions but Burnham does a beautiful job as he does of playing with the cartooniness uh, that he throws into the book but having you know when they jump out from behind so the, the counter and the quietly-esque sound effects yes yeah, yeah well yeah then there's the exactly they jump into that black cloud of smoke and you get the pow bam boof sock you know sound effects <laughs> No, but in the actual pattern where they're jumping over, you see there's this in the boom behind Yeah, him. this spoom, exactly. Yeah. And that's just so, um, yeah, it was just so He lovely. does a really good Quietly. The cover of the issue really reminds me of Quietly's work, and mm -hmm. it's burnt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, but it's... Um... I mean, it's also ripping off Alex Ross, but it, there's right. there's a Quietly to it. Yeah, there is. No, he's just... Um, Burnham is a huge, huge find. I mean, he is a guy who, you know... Um, really just talk about stepping up to the plate because there's so much stuff in this that I think works so well because of him like 
that beautiful page where God was he the infidel or whatever is fighting Robin and it's just that super like you know it ends up being like 17 panels on the page or whatever um just lovely again not so much I don't know it's it the thing that's funny is is I'm always sort of hesitant to be like you know He's clearly super influenced by Quitely, but he's he somehow manages to still make the work feel like his own, I guess. Yeah, yeah and that's it, it, so it's Quitely influenced as opposed to a Quitely clone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, interestingly enough, I think that... By the way, there's 20 panels on that page. I just ah, thank you. <laughs> um, but, uh, I have a weird problem with, with uh, Burnham's art in this issue purely because... The woman that Rob that Red Robin rescues, yes, de-ages as soon as Burnham shows up. Right, right. Uh, significantly. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Burnham is really good at drawing kids, mm-hmm. but it turns out he's not great at drawing young women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this really underscores something that I noticed earlier, which is he's not very good at drawing women. Mm. His Talia is kind of weird as well. His Talia is weird, but I mean. To me, it's almost like the kids. It's she's, you know, I actually really enjoyed the Talia issue of Batman Incorporated a great deal, in part because she is such a, um, she's just about a, she's practically a Pixar character, you know what I mean? In terms of like the really big head on the little tiny bobblehead neck and, you know. Yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, look at the final page of the issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, the panel where uh, Talia is saying nothing, it's nothing a moment. Yes. The proportions there are weird. Yeah, the proportions are weird. Like, are really, really, really odd. And then when you see the next panel of Talia, the two panels later, mm-hmm. her head is weirdly flat. Like, she should have more at the back of her head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it reads really weirdly. And he keeps doing that in a way that you almost... Like, he uh, overemphasizes the muscles and the masculinity of the male characters, mm-hmm. which kind of... Which works, which you kind of give him a pass for. Right, you sort of expect it in a superhero book. But he makes his female characters weirdly... It's not even Pixar. It's like weirdly stick figures. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and doesn't seem to be able to grasp their proportions. They seem, for me, more unreal than his male characters. Hmm. And, you know, on one hand, it's not a big thing because the majority of characters in this book are male. Yeah. Like really, Talia and potentially Squire mm-hmm. are are the are female characters who who quote unquote matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is Talia. Talia really matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she does. So for Talia to get reduced to this level of it's just awkward more than anything. Uh, it, yeah. it, it hurts the book for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I say that as someone who otherwise thinks that quite uh, that I keep wanting to quote Colin Quitely <laughs> <laughs> thinks that Burnham is amazing. I think Burnham is really, really good. I think his panel to panel is great. I think his storytelling is really good. Oh yeah, very much. But so. I think his actual figure work, when it comes to women, is problematic. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, how do I put it? There's times when I think, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I, I, I have. There's times when I think I feel like I have trouble with his figure work overall, but yeah, I definitely see what you're talking about. And there was a problem, <coughs> especially since uh, is it Hannah, whatever the receptionist's name is, um, you know, is 
she's an is going to be a meaningful character probably in the conclusion of the storyline certainly for this this issue so. it has to be said if Batman Incorporated was its own series mm-hmm. would you not think that Hannah's going to be the new Robin from the end of this issue yes her name is uh, Ellie actually but yeah okay. absolutely yeah no there there would be that thing of right because they have her dressed in red um, and there's a variety of things yeah she's going to come and, in as some and, sort she of... ends up, and she ends up saying he saved me Mm-hmm. Like, I feel that's as close to being like, new Robin, everyone, yeah. as you can get, apart from the fact that clearly she's not going to be. Well, you say clearly, but I don't know. I think I think Morrison, you know, it, is, it may be willing to go out with, like, both middle fingers flying, if you know what I mean. And just be it like, would be awesome. Mm-hmm. It would really be awesome. Yeah. Uh, here is something that is entirely nerdy, and I'm probably going to end up writing up for Blogat tomorrow, but... Mm-hmm. So you've seen the covers of the Nets of Nets Month's Batman titles, right? That all of them are basically now reflecting the fact that Robin is dead. I sort of I didn't see the covers. I saw the story mentioning that, but yeah. So when the issues were originally solicited, they were all, uh, you know, from the aftermath of a death in a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know that was obviously a, a duck. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was ducking the fact that Batman Incorporated was quote unquote the important story. Right. Two things. One, does that mean that all of those issues are now returnable because they were missolicited? Mm, mm-hmm. And two, when did Batman Incorporated happen in Batman continuity? Right. Because you, it would appear that all of that happened after A Death in the Family, or at least the last, say, three issues did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a problem in that, in that the last issue of Batman has all of the Batman family being like, our faith in you has been broken. And then you read Batman Incorporated, which has the strongest, you know what, Batman, we believe in you totally. Yes. There has been in Batman comics for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no, it, I, I really wish they could have, I don't know, they either could have, like, said, okay, Batman Incorporated happens months afterwards. Like, Batman Incorporated will catch up with, or rather, the other Batman continuities will catch up with Batman Incorporated four months from now. Yeah, exactly. Give the idea of, you know, the Bat family is broken, a chance to play out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to going from, you know, here's the Joker storyline, which is really important, which ends up with this thing where the Batman family is broken and then immediately jumps to, and they're also mourning. Well, you know, here's the thing, Graham. Uh, that actually would be a great idea, by the way, and I, I apologize for cutting you off on this. Um, but I, I do have this the weird conspiracy nut side of me really wonders if the point where Morrison was like, yeah, okay, I'm leaving DC, you know, happened around the time, you know, he got contacted by DC and, you know, the Bat books, and they were like, hey, listen, we really love everything that you're doing here with the death of Damien, and in fact, would you mind if Scott Snyder uses that for, like, death of the family? You know, and Morrison going, what? No. Because there's just something about how awkward this feels. You know, it kind of reminds by, me... By the fact that Death the Family was trailing a big important event that never happened, the... and then the same month Damien dies in another comic, you Exactly. Mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just something about that where I was like, okay, so this really does feel like a big mess well, somehow. I, you know? I, had a, I had a conspiracy theorist talk to me the other day and suggest that... Snyder wants to kill Alfred 
mm-hmm. and that there are there is numerous pointers in that story that suggest that Alfred is dead, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that Snyder may have essentially been prevented from doing that because it would steal the thunder of uh, Damien's death. Oh, interesting. Yeah, kind of definitely the build with death of the family before it turned out to be just kind of a wet fart was the idea of like everything was building toward that idea of like, yeah, here's here's Alfred's head on a plate. But I don't know. You know, it's interesting because so much of Snyder's if that's the I mean, if it's the case, if either conspiracy theory is the is the case, you really have to give Snyder some credit for going to such great lengths in Death of the Family to be like, no, 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 you know, I meant to do this all along, because he really does make it seem like the big, you know, point to the story is is that Batman knows that that the Joker is not, doesn't care about him as Bruce Wayne and is not going to attack Alfred or the Batcave, or doesn't know about the location well, of the Batcave. Or... But to be fair, all of that could have still been true if someone had died. Agreed. Then, then it would have been worse. Then Batman right. would have blamed himself for the death right. of the character. Right. I think, uh, yeah, I see your point. I was going to say, I, I think it also speaks ill mm-hmm. if that's of Snyder, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Because instead of people thinking, reading that issue and thinking, wait, something's gone wrong. Like, so th- this is not the story that started out with. Right. Everyone was like, yep, that's kind of what I expected from a Scott Snyder story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, if if Wet Fart is our default right. ending for a Scott Snyder Batman story, mm-hmm. then that speaks to a problem as well. Well, I, I think, and certainly after seeing some of our comments, uh, the comment thread for last week's podcast, I do get the sense that a lot of people were willing to reserve judgment on Snyder and hold their tongue and this was the point where at the end of that they were like yeah okay this I gotta call shenanigans you know sort of the the same the same way that nobody really seems to be backing us on the Jonathan Hickman thing everyone seems to be ready to back us on the Emperor oh I, I, I don't don't get me started on that Jonathan Hickman <laughs> comment from Jeff. do not do it I know I won't I totally will not because I remember reading those going like ooh this is like we're gonna Mm, I'll have to address this, <laughs> this is, someday. This is Graham fighting talk, you probably thought. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, in, in any event, so yes, Snyder's thing is, is like there is there's a weird schism. Like reading Batman Incorporated number eight, because I by and large long ago, like I, guess, I don't know, because of the nature of the beast, when Batman Incorporated came back, I sort of have been reading it as its own sort of parallel universe Batman title. Yeah. Yeah, and so the idea that it's getting reintegrated into the Bat Universe with all of this, you know, Damien's dead time, yeah, and, and in of... a big way as well. It's yes. not just like this will be reflected. All of a sudden, it's like this is impacting every single Bat book. Yeah, exactly. Which and part of me is like, well, like it just it feels crazy because yeah. if you look at the rest of Batman Incorporated it's like wait so all of a sudden you're okay with the International Club of Heroes and the Outsiders existing mm-hmm. and Stephanie Brown mm-hmm. right. like it's all of that coming back into continuity right like, right <laughs> really because you did a lot of work to pretend it wasn't there yeah exactly no I I, I can't I can't figure it I really can't figure it um, the way I figure it is, I'm wondering if they're doing this as as much of a, hey, Grant Morrison's final storyline is a really fucking big deal as they can get. Right. 
because otherwise it would be that Batman book that you guys have liked, but we kind of pretend it hasn't really been that important, is ending. Right. Right. You know? Right. It's, well, it's much better for them to be like, it's a big deal, everyone. We fucking killed off Robin, okay? Right. Even though there is at least two ways to bring Robin back that have been mentioned in the last story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't I really I'm a I'm definitely a little baffled by it. I mean, it it does it's one of those times where you just really wish you knew what was going on there cuz all the pieces don't add up in a way that suggests that that something some, else was the plan. Yes, yeah, something else, some piece fell out and they awkwardly hammered the rest of the jigsaw puzzle pieces together to make to make it seem like there there's not a piece missing, but but yeah. there is. So yeah, but that said, as an issue onto itself, I thought it was really, really good, and and really did feel like Morrison was putting in like, like extra bits of care to like you know. It it works as uh, everything is out of control. This is nonstop. This mm-hmm. is moving forward in a way that action comics should and does not. Right. Both of them are the middle part of the story. The big dramatic, you know, holy shit! Every, mm-hmm. You know, our heroes are doomed. Yes, um, yeah. And there is such a precision to Batman Incorporated mm-hmm. that contrasts really badly with the scatter shots. Oh crap! I've got two issues left. Um, okay, so I've got to do this and this and this and this mm-hmm. of Action Comics. Right, right. Because exactly. Action Comics. Action Comics really pays off if you've been reading the rest of the run and really paying attention to it. If you have not, and why should you? Right. It's, it's again, it's a complete shit show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame. Um, I have to say, by the way, I picked up uh, Batman and Robin number 17 this week because you had said good things about it. The Nightmare City yes. follow-up thing. It was great. And, you know, it's interesting. That last page does... Uh, last double-page spread right before the the final the final page I guess um, where you get another sense of Robin's dream and it's supposed to be actually his happy dream where he's like basically fighting by Batman and is like yeah this is totally a dream I don't want to wake up from yeah it's me and my dad yeah exactly they do have a shot where he's getting impaled on a sword in one panel you know and I'm like huh like (laughs) welcome to someone just playing around yeah I guess so I guess so, because I really had that moment of like, okay, no, wait, they, you know, I felt like, you know, because I read it after Batman Incorporated number eight, I'm like, okay, they clearly sort of like, well, they know what's going to happen. Why couldn't they have just built a little bit better onto that? You know. Well, here's the thing. I think Batman and Robin has actually always gone along really, really well with Batman Incorporated. Yes. And actually has been referenced in Batman Incorporated, one mm-hmm. of the few ba- other Batman series that that have been. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, because this is the opening arc of Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. of this series of Batman and Robin, is referenced in, shit, issue two or issue three of Batman Incorporated, this run? Oh, really? Yeah. There, there's some comment about, you, so told, you said you wouldn't kill anyone, and then you killed this guy. Oh, yeah, that is true. Actually, there is that thing where, yeah, and here he's like, I promised Father I wouldn't kill again, but, oh well, you know. Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> uh, but no, I, like, it, it's, Tomasi has, Tomasi has done a thankless task mm-hmm. of pretending that Morrison and Snyder are writing the same continuity. 
Right. I've done a pretty good job of it. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's a thankless task. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So has done really outstanding work on, on Batman and Robin in just trying to make the two jibe. Yeah. Yeah, this was definitely the issue because it was like the third issue of Batman and Robin that I picked up in a row where it was like, I'm like, well, if Tomasi and Gleason are going to stick on this book, I might actually continue reading it, basically. And I'm like, very curious about their, their post-Robin death plan as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Have you, have, you seen, have you seen the plan? Uh, there is a plan? That, yeah, the comic is changing titles every issue. <laughs> no, 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 not it, like Captain America and... It, it's Batman and Red Robin, and then it's Batman and Red Hood. Mm-hmm. And they're not saying what's happening after that. But it's essentially being Batman is a fucking mess and his former partners are having to come back and help him. Right. Well, it makes sense, and then they just do that. They just have to do it for three or four more issues, right? Really. Yeah, they do it for four more issues, and then there's going to be another Robin. Yeah, exactly. Or Damien back. Right, exactly. Which we- I really hope is not the case. Oh, really? Just because this death is so well done? Yeah, and also because... Um, I Yeah, I, I guess it is because of the death is... is it, it, the issue is so well done, and the death is so well done, and it feel I feel that it cheapens Morrison's point. Of he, course, you know, for all we know, Morrison has planned this all along because Morrison does like his happy endings. Yeah, I was about to say. I I assume that Morrison is, um, you know, I'm half convinced that he's going to walk it back. You know, just... well, like I said, he has built in two ways of bringing it back, and he did start off this run with a story about Robin's death being faked. Yes. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Like, he has given a lot of signposts to mm-hmm. this isn't going to stick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I just kind of wish it would. I, I wrote this thing that went up in time today uh, mm-hmm. about the fact that you can actually, if you look at superheroes as uh, stories that constantly default to the status quo, mm-hmm. you can keep Damien dead. Mm-hmm. Because Damien in himself is breaking the status quo mm-hmm. because he's Batman's son right you just have someone else become Robin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you're fine then you have defaulted status quo Batman has a Robin and Bruce Wayne does not have a son right and I, I'm kind of expecting that to be the way it goes mm-hmm. especially because as many people have been saying online Harper from uh, Scott Snyder's run kind of looks like she's in pole position to be Bat- to be Robin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we'll see we will see well, that is that is that that is interesting. Part of me is sort of like, uh, but yeah, that, certainly that's we we don't have to worry about um, uh, about there not being another Robin. Certainly, but whether oh, or no, not it mean, ends up being Damien, Mar- of course, Morrison is the is the writer who wrote Batman and Robin will never will die. never die exactly. <laughs> so how he makes that shout out actually work is is part of where the tension comes from. You know. But it's also uh, I don't know I like I like Damien's death. Mm-hmm. I do too. I, I do I'd too. Like I like where it leaves the characters, and also I like that it happens with four issues to go. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that Damien didn't die, and it stopped the fight. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that Damien died, and it's just going to make things worse. Right. Yeah, that is true. That would be interesting. Oh no, I'm kind of curious because what I find fascinating is is that Morrison uh, has leaned on the idea of the future Batman being Damien. You know, but then that was walked back last last issue. Uh, was it walked back last issue? Yeah, 
Issue 7, uh, Damien explicitly says, I am not the future Batman. The future Batman is my clone's brother, the infidel. Oh, right. It, it is explicitly stated. Shit, I totally forgot that part. That's really interesting. Hmm. Ah, well, in that case, right, he did that to, like, set the groundwork so that when Damien died, it wasn't just a people going like uh but 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 time travel paradox what the hell but okay well but there's but also there's no real time travel like batman saw it mm-hmm. but we don't but we don't know if batman saw what we have seen there's been no interaction between right like that future batman and our batman yeah it's true it, it's it's been very different it's been much more of a, a weird um yeah vanishing point i suppose uh for for the storyline but but as a as a yeah as a possible counterweight or countermeasure or something so yeah uh in any event graham you sound smart i sound dumb i look forward to reading the last four issues of batman <laughs> incorporated so do i yes. and i'm just, i'm just talking about all this because i've had to write so much about Batman. i'm <laughs> sure this last week you're like oh let me talk about it some more we well it's one of those things like i like i said i found out last friday and so i i reread all the batman incorporated mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend so it's one of those okay i know totally how this ties in mm-hmm. right exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? like i've just read the last i know i was like wow you're pretty quick with those explicit walked back statements uh yeah no exactly um, so yeah, you're on it, and I. Pre- but I appreciate the fact that you and I are both in the the sort of the same neck of the woods, which is kind of like yeah, Damien should stay dead because it because it's such a it was such a good earned death, I think. Yes, that, that sort of thing is really kind of shockingly rare in comics, I guess. So well, death has just been ridiculous. Like death is ridiculous in superhero comics now. Oh yeah, absolutely, utterly ridiculous. Right. Um, to the point where. You know, Hal Jordan died again in Green Lantern Annual, and Jeff Johns didn't even bother to make it a thing. <laughs> like, seriously, he didn't even give a shit. <laughs> it's, uh, yep, he's dead, moving on. And then the next issue is like, and here he is in the afterlife. Like, it, it was so not even a thing. Wow. wow. Uh, and so I think that's... I don't know, I, I just think that's... the. Either you do what Morrison did here, which is you really make it worth it. Yeah. Like, you give it your all. Mm-hmm. Or you have to do the uh, Jeff Jones thing. Or, for that matter, the Matt Fraction thing at the end of Fear itself. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much like, yeah, sure, he's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, within a month, you're like, but he's, he's obviously not. Come on. It's right. fucking Thor. It's fucking Green Lantern. <laughs> well, but it, yes. Which is, which is one of those things that's always... Um... Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, I find it fascinating as time goes on with these characters, the um, inherent tension behind, like, um, uh, you know, like the status quo and how it always defaults to the status quo. And as you point out, like, Damien isn't the status quo, really. But, like, I remember looking online, because believe me, it, it was impossible to avoid being spoiled uh, I feel if you you know, oh the, the the Robin death yeah the Robin death I mean oh the Robin death it was it was it got ridiculous especially when DC on Monday were like we're not even putting behind spo- spoiler warners wow we're, we're literally we're literally just putting on our websites hey so you saw the news that Robin died right I mean that was just <laughs> that was really weirdly explicit in a way that normally com- publishers aren't yeah normally publishers are like have you seen the news. Mm-hmm. 
A nod. So you've seen the robins dying, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you were looking online, you said. Oh, yeah, I was looking online, and there was something where somebody had some, some, like, reaction from, like, Burt Ward about Robin V. Dead. That's a terrible mistake. Yes, exactly. I was like, but it doesn't even really... But it is that classic of, you know... Getting the public being like, oh my god, Robin's dead? Quick, let me run into the store and buy like six issues. You know, kind of well, thing. it apparently worked. Hey, yeah. I, I, I've got a question about Batman Incorporated, and you can maybe answer it. Okay. Does it feel like there's a page missing just before the last page? Um, that is a good Because question. you see uh, Batman jumping off the building, grabbing a, uh, a man bat. Yes. Oh yeah, you're absolutely Batman, right. Batman cradling Robin, okay? Yeah. Here's my question, besides the fact that you kind of miss Batman coming in. Mm-hmm. You also, on the page before that, see the infidel kill Robin. Yes. He's gone on the next page. Yeah. Which you could almost explain as he decided to make a quick getaway. Mm-hmm. Why did he leave Ali holding the world bomb trigger that he says is his? Oh, my God. Because she's still there holding it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that does... Like, well, that's, that's weird, right? You're right. It is weird. It is weird. Okay. As um, long as it's not just me, I was like, "Am I am I wrong for being bothered by this?" Here's the thing: I really like the comic, but I think that everyone who's like, "It's a, it's a masterpiece," I don't think it is. Mm. I think it's a really good issue of Batman Incorporated, mm. but I think other issues have been this good. Uh, yeah, you know, other issues have been this good. They just this issue is the one where I think it's very uh, it's very easy to measure it on its own merits, you know what I mean? Like, the other pieces, like, there's some, been some great issues of Batman Incorporated, some of which have just been sort of terrific on their own, especially that amazingly depressing one with uh, Man of Bats. Um, you know, but there's just, although I don't think that's from this new 52 No, that, that's, yeah, that's from previous, last year. Yeah, so, um, but uh, this one in terms of like, yeah, you, you're like, okay, well, Robin's supposed to die, and then as a Robin death issue, it's great. And everything, you can see all the pieces. It's almost like, you know, there. I think there are times where, you know, I spend a lot of time basically accusing Morrison of not being as clever as he thinks he is or being clever enough to, to be able to pull off a lot more, oh, I meant to do that type of excuses. But there are times where I feel like he's like, okay, you know, he, I would think of it as getting his shit together and he would probably think of it as, you know, slowing down to make sure that, you know, the old guys can... can keep up um i feel like this issue for the for the most for as robin dies you're like yeah you're made me feel this it's all constructed perfectly for that regard but yeah in terms of the infidel what happens to him why ellie's still holding the box i mean the last page the next to last page where damien's getting uh impaled um and and the the panel pattern is basically the window falling apart that you're assuming I guess Batman comes in through in order to get to Damien on the last page um, yeah it's you know it's I, I, I want an extra sloppy. page mm. I want an extra page I want a page between those where what where the infidel goes like oh okay see ya you know sure and Batman gets there yeah, yeah maybe I, I want I want a page where we see where the infidel is gone because mm-hmm. I also the way it ends mm-hmm I would not be surprised if the next issue starts off with the infidel still there. Yeah, it could be. It could be, which I think that, is... You know, that... I really don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't feel like that's cheating. Right. 
Well, I totally get. I totally get your. Uh, I understand that because, of course, there's times where I think uh, um, Morrison is a cheating son of a cheater a lot, especially with stuff that he finds the interstitial stuff that he doesn't find interesting. He's very much kind of a, yeah, I want, like, maximum story, and this is how he tries to do it, is by cutting out the details, the the small stuff, and then when you complain about sweating that small stuff, he's like, ugh, it's so clearly inferred with the <laughs> panel placement. Uh, here's Action Comics 17 to explain it for you. <laughs> exactly. Have fun, loser. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, Batman Incorporated number eight. I, I it was a pretty solid issue, uh, and I'm glad that people are going to pay attention to it. And I'm glad, I guess, that DC's taking it seriously, even though it totally points out just how unbelievably fucked their Batman continuity is in their own Batman line. Oh yeah, but yeah. Well, here's the thing: Batman continuity is great as long as you just pretend that Batman Incorporated doesn't happen. Right. When you then make Batman Incorporated the center of your Batman continuity, that's when you're like, oh fuck. Yeah. Well, hey, wouldn't it be, maybe, who knows what they're planning, Graham? Wouldn't it be great if it comes out and it's like Damien has died, like, you know, he, like, got hit by a car or something that like that? That would be hilarious. Where <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, Damien died, that's terrible. We can't see each other. And you're like, that's weird, because they were all just together in Batman Incorporated. Then, like, right. two years down the line, they're like, yeah, Damien died in a terrible boating accident. <laughs> exactly. Like, Alakazike! It's not even the same universe at all. Now that Grant Morrison is like totally burned his bridges with us, we can totally say, fuck you, Grant. Woo! So, yeah, I don't know. That would be hilarious. I would really, in a weird way, I'd love that. <laughs> well, because there is, because at least you feel like they're trying, as opposed to, I don't know, there's just... Oh, no, the problem is right now for me that they're trying. Well, they're trying, so they're, but... Like, they're really trying. Yeah. I feel but... that they're really trying. Yeah, but after the fact, like after things have already sort of started to get fucked up, you know what I mean? It's like before <laughs> they were just kind of like things started to get fucked up when the new Fifty Two started. Right. Well, and how do I put it? Like, and they were just kind of like, okay, that'll be fine. It's not going to be a big deal. And then it clearly, I mean, it's not like this death of Robin came out of nowhere. Like, but the editorial but no, office that's just, was like, just the, like this has quite clearly been the point. I mean, Chris Burnham said in an interview this week he's known since he started drawing the book. Yeah, exactly. Which is... And Grant Morrison has said before, he was going to kill him at the end of the first arc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know that it's going to be coming in some form or other. But... Sigh. Hey, let me jump to the other side of the equation as far as um, books that are kind of weird and surprising and going where you think they would expect but are also kind of unexpected and there being, like, a lot more death than you might otherwise think. Uh... Jennifer Blood issues twenty two and twenty three. Um, I I just got twenty three in the mail today, so I've not read it. But oh, um, Jennifer Blood is is great right now, right? Yeah, it really. is. I mean, fantastic. it's really just. It's one of those everyone should be reading this comic. Yeah, and to be fair, I think if you aren't, and you probably aren't, I think you should jump back and really pick it up at like at least like issue seventeen or something. Mm. Like you, you can't. You have to have read a chunk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For, no, for right now to be as completely impactful as it is. Yeah, yeah. I I have to agree. Like the last two issues, twenty two and twenty three. I can't imagine saying to anyone, apart from just actually a weird craft level. Like oh, it's 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 the craft is astounding. Yeah, I, and I I love the time jump at the start of twenty two. 
Yes. Well, yeah, at the start of 22, and also has... Um, 22 has an amazing sequence where the way that gunfight uh, plays out over the course of like three or four pages, I don't have... Unfortunately, I have just issue 23 in front of me, but does some really, really brilliant things with page presentation. Like Now, did, did you listen to the Decompressed podcast, Kieran Gillen's podcast, when he talked to Al Ewing about... Fuck, I think it's issue 17. I think it's... I was going to give away a massive spoiler, and I'm not. There is an issue earlier on where something very important happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, did you hear it? The podcast where I did not. picked it apart page by page. By page. Uh-huh. You should listen. Mm. It's... Talk about craft. Mm-hmm. They, like, they're... They're very aware of what they're doing on every page, mm-hmm. shall mm-hmm. we say, in a way that you get the idea that, let's be generous, 99% of most American comics are not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really thought that issues 22 and 23, it would be one of those things where I wish, you know, I can't keep, you know, it's going to be really vague. But yeah, for people who are really interested in very strange formalistic stuff or some really some attempts at um, to use the worst cliche ever just taking the storytelling envelope and uh, pushing it Um, I really recommend these two issues Uh, and Jennifer Blood has just been it was it was really a good week for comics for me I think Um, because between that and then because we got shorted comics experience got shorted I didn't pick up my issue of Saga until yesterday oh I also picked up Saga yesterday. Ah, so have you read it? I have indeed. Okay, because that's actually would have been should have been my segue. Is like, oh sure, the last issue of Batman Incorporated number eight is a heartbreaker, but then when you get that's to the last it, issue it, of Saga, yeah, the last page of Saga, you really are like, what? Yeah, exactly. But, but no, <laughs> I was like, oh Brian K. Vaughn, you fucker. So yeah, motherfucker. And also, I love the the um the opening line of the letters page immediately following. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have to admit, I'm really hoping there's some sort of uh, take back for that. Oh, totally, totally, totally. I, I really am. I'm like, you fucker. Yeah. Because on one hand, it doesn't really impact, the, you know, the storyline. But on the other hand, you fucker. It, re- like, it will impact the character. Yes. And it will, and that will impact the story. But also just... I like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, th- what happens? I wish didn't happen because the particular characters that it affects, mm-hmm. I like them. Yes. No, I think that's it. It's it's hilarious that we, of course, are like full yeah, exactly. spoilers we'll ahead. Yeah, exactly. spoil Batman and Corporate. Yeah. And we won't spoil Saga, even though Saga's been out for two weeks. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, Jennifer Blood or Saga, we're being super careful about. But yeah, the thing that actually amazes me about Saga uh, is about that last page, too, is is that um, just kind of the confidence that Vaughn has, really. I mean, I don't know if he set out, like, you know, because that page really does benefit from your, like you said, your affections for the characters involved. And so the fact that he knows that he knew that early, that relatively early on that he's like, yep, everyone's going to love this and I'm going to make sure that this happens, you know, is just... Yeah, everyone's going to completely love these two characters and right. then I'm going to do something. Right. And he... that, that, will, that will have an impact. But here's the thing. He's also really smart because he's playing on our reading of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, can I spoil the scene 
I, yeah, I think I, we should. I think it is it? like, yeah, everyone. We're, we're there is stop being there is okay. Spoiler for everyone who's not read Saga, but at the same time, I kind of feel like most people probably have. Yeah. In a way that I don't feel most people have read Jennifer Blood, and so I really don't want to spoil Jennifer Blood. Gotcha. Like I really wouldn't want to spoil Jennifer Blood at all for Al Ewing Shran mm-hmm. because I think it's really fucking great. And I think that it benefits from the surprise. Yeah, it's it's and a little bit like a domino with... tumble. So like, just yeah, I, w- I would want one. to be like, and then an issue, you know, eighteen, mm-hmm. this happens. Yeah, because if you don't get to that, if you don't earn that, I guess by mm-hmm. reading books, mm-hmm. that it won't have the same impact. And yeah. I think that it really earns it. Saga, however, yes. spoilers, everyone. Yeah, Vaughn is really smart because he's playing on our, he's playing on the assumption that we're just going to think that lying cat can't breathe in space. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason that we should think that. Right. Like, he is completely justified in first page of Fisher 11 being like, oh no, lying cat's having to swim about in space. Luckily he can breathe. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, but and but it... your, your affection for the character. Mm-hmm. And not, because here's the thing, I don't have affection for the will. I have affection for lying cat. Exactly. That's the thing that kills me, is this idea of like, he took Lion Cat, and admittedly, maybe when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, of course, I'm going to get every cat person on the face of the planet in my corner, and then I'm going to give them a shitload of a great, you know, cliffhanger. But it really is like, the will I've grown more affectionate of, but Lion Cat is like the breakout character that is fucking awesome. And but he d- I hear you yeah. Sorry, and you go. Oh, I think there cool. was, there wasn't a there is a thing something like isn't there like a line like an issue or two issues earlier or something where like Gwendolyn says something like I I can't believe that you haven't killed that cat yet and he's he's like believe me it's not as easy as it looks you know and is so, there I don't know I'd have to go back and look yeah but what I was gonna say is another thing that I think is really smart in a it's almost smug mm-hmm. way. Is that he does this cliffhanger in the same issue that he brings Isabel back. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, hey, people aren't as dead as it seems. Right. But I'm going to make you think that Lion Cat's dead at the end of the issue. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something really, like, it, all, it really is kind of like, I kind of want to punch you in the face for that. Because mm-hmm. you're being just a bit too cute. Oh, that's... But it also yeah. completely works. Yeah. It completely works. Yeah. You, you forget... That you have gone through the oh god Isabel is gone oh no here she is back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by the end yeah because at the end you're just like oh fuck lion cat <laughs> lion cat no exactly exactly no I, that is actually one of the the like you said like smart to the point of being smug but it works anyway is uh, as close as I think as we can get to an applicable label for for Brian K Vaughn you know there's times when his stuff doesn't quite match up to that level where it's not quite as smart as it thinks it is or I don't know it just gets too dull for you to actually go on with I, as somebody who jumped off of Ex Machina you know I don't, I don't oh really the, the, end, the end of Ex Machina is a is a mess is it yeah yeah so. you should, if nothing else you should pick up the last collection because mm-hmm. the last issue is just like what the fuck I mean <laughs> such an amazing you know, even with all the hints you've dropped, where the shit did this come from? Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe this was your plan all along, but I think you forgot to give more hints about it. Right. right. Like, you know, maybe you maybe this has always been in your head, but you should have let a little bit more of it out of your head ahead of time. Mm, mm-hmm. um, elements. 
but I don't know. Another thing that's actually really cute to the point of being too cute mm-hmm. in Saga, uh, the time suck, really? Mm-hmm. Calling it the time suck. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the time suck. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. really? I don't, because that actually stood out for me when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. one of those really, <laughs> really. <laughs> Next, you're going to find a race of cats called the Lol Cats. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I, I um but I mean this is the this is the thing about Saga is from the very beginning I was like, "Oh my god, this is just going to be too cutesy for me." You know, cuz it really is um at so many different stages and levels. It's it's I don't know. You know, I I think but but Vaughn manages to make it work because he has such a I think a commitment to keeping you entertained. I suppose, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, that, that I think really makes it work. So, yeah, even with the time suck, I was like, okay, like, that's a little too kind of, I don't know if on it's, the nose. It's a bit on the nose. Yeah, yeah, it is. You it's know, it's, Although, at the same time, I love the secret book club. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's something about that that I, I was completely just like, oh, I will forgive you a lot for secret book club. Secret yes. book club is, you know, so incredibly mundane. Mm-hmm. That it so entirely works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, um, I, I very much, I, I dug the secret book club scene as well. Like, kind of as this perfect, um, I don't know, you know, kind of like he, he'd set all the other pieces in place, and who knows how much farther he wants to go with them. But I really, in terms of setting up their relationship, and so you understand why it works for them like that was the that little opening five page sequence is pretty much i think all he ever needs you know yeah but also i mean that sequence as well pays off so much from the earlier in the series yes absolutely because we've seen that book before we've yes. seen the, the the amazing popularity of that book despite now that we've actually got to read part of the book oh, I it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> which is such a, which is also such a great joke. That it's such a terrible, terrible book that everyone's reading so much into. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That that really was pretty impressive. Like I really was I was like, What? I mean, and that again is something where Vaughn is um I don't know. Vaughn Vaughn just Vaughn just makes a lot of those little bits and pieces work in a way that uh other people like I'm have it's it's one of those weird like I'm almost like yeah, I I almost hope that a lot of people don't learn, you know, don't try and do what Brian K. Vaughn does. You know what I mean? Because half the time I'm shocked when he himself is able to pull it off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, don't try and imitate this guy because you're just you're just going to fall on your face. Yeah, because it, it's luck that he's doing it. Yeah. You the, kind the of luck is not going to hold for the rest of you guys. Yeah, exactly. How he's managed to not fall on his face is kind of kind of a stumper. So... You know, and he's had little little screw ups here and there, but like Saga's really pretty fucking phenomenal. It's great. Yeah, it really is. It, it's it's just staying up there. And uh, the other end of the the strange sci-fi spectrum. I know you don't read it, but uh, uh, issue thirty-four of Profit was is another one of the issues where Simon Roy comes back to do the art as they sort of rotate through their art teams, and so his are the issues that I like the best generally, you know, because mm-hmm. they're the ones that sort of double down on the Space Conan concept, um, yeah. and it was terrific. I don't necessarily think that you would 
care for it. You know, I know that you jumped off generally, and the book manages to keep sort of its very chilly tone, um, I think, uh, which is actually kind of ironic, considering this issue really is kind of weird space barbarian adventure times two, but I I dig it. I assume other people are picking up profit. If you're not, um, I'm kind of shocked at how it has managed to create uh, an itch that I always appreciate having scratched. I, I'm, as you know, I'm not on board, but I am really <laughs> impressed that it's managed to keep its momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it e- is Everything true. I see from everyone is like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's still as good as it was. And I, that genuinely surprises me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, it's funny. I don't think... You're right. I can see why it, it and I'm not saying that in the sense of like, well, you know, Emperor's New Clothes, you guys will all no, 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 my no. way of thinking at all. Exactly. Just, it didn't seem like the sort of setup that could sustain momentum for that long, to be right. honest. Right. Well, I, and I was that going at, to say... At yeah. some point, it would, it would have to vary what it offers in such a way that at least part of the audience would jump off. And I don't think that's what's happened. Right. Well, I think, yeah, I think because I think one of the things that's pretty strong about Profit is between the way it was marketed and between the way that it was hand-sold, the people who picked it up are getting exactly what they want every issue or close enough to make it super satisfying. And I think that Profit definitely benefits from the fact of, like I said, I love this because it's a Simon Roy issue. You know, um, Brendan Graham is working with several, you know, with this rotating artistic team um, throughout. Uh, And so you'll get an issue, you know, and he, as far as I can tell, he co-plots with them as well. So there's always kind of a feeling of it being offbeat and organic, but also kind of weirdly, it makes a point to play to everyone's strengths from issue to issue. Um, And I think that does there are ways that the the sort of slightly chillier, more distant approach to the storytelling uh, allows for that degree of variation, you know. Um, but I can also see for people for whom it's not really their book, it's not like, I mean, I can't turn around and say like, oh, Graham, you should pick up issue 34 because you'll like it. You know exactly. It's changed so much. <laughs> exactly. That those things that you didn't like, they're not there anymore. It's just yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. Not gonna exactly. Exactly. I mean, the one hey. thing that. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to change subjects. So keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, which is, I think, a, a fine closing point. The one thing is, is that for me, who finished up the first, even the first arc, being like, I don't understand where this is going. It does. I get a sense of like, okay, I know where it's going. I know what the setup is. It's all been sort of laid out. Um, but, and because of that, it makes it easier for me to enjoy the quote-unquote leisurely pace in the sense of I don't I don't know where the bigger game is, you know the 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 long game is, but I at least feel that it's out there. So that's also kind of nice. Good. Yeah. Uh, that that leads. So I'm going in two directions. I'm going to go in one and then jump on the other. Okay. Uh, the first one is actually responding to the comments in the thread from the last podcast at mm-hmm. savagecritic.com and people if you listen to us in podcast and you want to leave a comment you can go to savagecritic.com and leave a comment there each episode is posted there uh, the same day goes live on iTunes right? Uh, yeah well yes and no uh, ish ish maybe ish. like within 24 after. hours yeah. usually, usually what happened what used to happen was 
went live on iTunes Monday night. The podcast went live really early Tuesday morning. Now, because for whatever reason, the scheduling things through WordPress is no longer working for me, um, I I think it's no longer working for me. What I've been doing is I'm updating the website. The website's going live Monday night when it goes up on iTunes. So Anyway, in response to the comment that someone left there about Hickman, Yes. And about us giving credit to Morrison that we don't give Tickman and specifically the end of the third issue of Avengers, which was really the end of, of my run on the book. Right. Um, there was a comment along the lines of, and I, I'm not even going to try and bring it up in case it completely fucks up our Skype connection again. <laughs> uh, the comment is essentially along the lines of... Uh, do you want to look and, it up on your tablet? Can you? Do you have your tablet no, within him? I'm nowhere near my tablet. Okay. Um, the comment is along the lines of anyone, basically anyone can tell that the, these Deus Ex Machina characters that have appeared and not been introduced will be introduced later, so what is your problem? Like, you're complaining about something that everyone with a brain, and yeah. I'm being harsher than the commenter is, I should put. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, everyone can tell that the explanations you're missing will be coming. Right. Um, And I... I like I really strongly disagree with that. Like I, I, I am incredibly, incredibly against that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because I think that Hickman isn't going to explain, mm-hmm. but because I think that, nonetheless, the way that the characters appear in the book and are given no introduction, and no one in the book re- reacts to them mm-hmm. being you, mm-hmm. shows a lack of craft. Mm-hmm. And I think that because no one in the book themselves has signifies in any way this is new, this person is different or this was unexpected mm-hmm. I don't think that there is a signifier that things will be explained in future because right. I don't think there's a signifier that there's a mystery Right. I think that if you are going to set up a what's going on, I'll explain it later but I'm not going to explain it right now like in Profit, like you're talking about mm-hmm. you have to actually have something in as almost as text mm-hmm. which is a uh, yeah this doesn't make sense right now and have someone acknowledge that I think if you just have a it happens and no one acknowledges it right. it's just an event that happens Yeah, I don't think you are giving enough of a signifier that things are going to be explained later because you're not giving enough of a signifier to the reader that you think it's worthy of comment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's so offhanded yeah that it just seems to be something that happens and everyone moves on from. Right. I think that the difference between Hickman and Morrison is that Morrison would tend to play that scene by overplaying it. Mm. Morrison would have characters being like, what just happened? I don't know. <laughs> Whereas Hickman is just like, I'm, I'm not even having, I'm not even acknowledging it. This mm. I'm moving on. You know, I am more, Hickman plays on the, you guys are smart enough to know that I'll explain this later, Right. Which I I find I do genuinely find is problematic in storytelling, not for the people who read comics all the time because they do know that, mm-hmm. but just in a craft in in a way of craft. I I think it's it's for the people who don't read comics all the time. Mm-hmm. They I honestly think they'd get to the end of Avengers issue three and be like, oh, so I guess that woman does that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not even know that it's a mystery, right? I don't think I don't think there's enough of a signifier of I'll I'll get around to explaining this later. Yeah, 
I, I, I think that that's actually a really good point. Um, there's a couple of things, you know, it's funny, my own sort of, um, personal variation on this moment, which I think actually, uh, is, is worth mentioning is I got a, a series of tweets from, uh, Perry Tele, uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, Perry, I totally garbled that, but he basically wrote me and was kind of like, Hey, I dug the podcast, but you're not really knocking Hickman for the cliffhanger at the end of Avengers, are you? I mean, you know, a great staple of comic books is now a bad thing. Your reaction kind of says yes. And, you know, I think it was a good point. I did a terrible, terrible job of, of talking about it in the podcast, but I, you know, should point out that there are times like when you were recounting Avengers number six on our last podcast, and I was kind of like, what? That, you know, essentially it ends with, the reveal that the mysterious character is is a night um, night mask. Thank you. I'm like Nightwalker. I'm like that's not right. I'm thinking of Streetwalker. Street Streetwalker, the different new character of the Marvel universe. Um, actually, I have to say Streetwalker. It is only through the grace of God that Streetwalker was not a member of the original new universe. Frankly, <laughs> uh, is that is that. It, you know, and, and thank God Perry was actually willing to talk with me about it. But as I, you know, sort of said, like, you know, the end of issue six of the Avengers is going to be basically, unless things go weird, that's where the end of the first trade is, you know. And so kind of ending with that as your big reveal for the end of your first volume, like on the one hand, I could see where it'd be like, oh, this is great to get into, but it just sort of, I don't know, I just get that feeling where it feels stingy. Like a lot of people, I, you know, as much as I give Morrison credit, I've also been known to attack Morrison for not providing enough context for his books, which again, he is very kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you old men on the internet just need to, you know, like start watching soap operas or something. Um, but I, I do feel that there's this weird balance that you're trying to, to hit of what is earned, like at what level you trust a writer or an artist to get something, right? Like you read something and you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be explained later. I mean, back in the day, God knows, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, Marvel and DC Comics, subplots were not in any way subtle, you know? They all, but half the time they literally had a caption being like, seems strange, doesn't it? We'll have to see what unfolds next month kind of thing, you know, which you could mm-hmm. get away with in that sort of, you know, I'm Stan Lee and I'm talking right to you, the reader kind of feel. Hickman's, um, I just, there's been so few things that I have felt for Hickman really felt earned or especially the character motivations seem as we talked about in other places people seem really incurious they stop seeming caring about things until later on down the line when it's time for the you know the plot point to be picked up and dragged forward and somebody's but like I, I, I think know. do you think that's potentially Hickman giving the audience so much credit that can be problematic um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, to me, that's buying into a level of the argument, which is, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I buy the argument that, that Hickman's doing something really super daring by... Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not even saying it's super daring. I'm saying I, I, I actually think it's a bad thing. Right. I, I, I think it's a failure of craft. 
Right. Well, I think that's it. I think you and I see it first and foremost as a failure of craft, not as a, oh, he's experimenting and trying something different. Or I think you're being more generous and saying, but don't you think if he's experimenting and trying something different, you need to hit these certain baselines in order to have it work, right? Yeah, basically, if you're experimenting and trying to do it different, you still have to respect enough of Mm -hmm. the conventions that the experiment has context. Yeah. Otherwise, what is to what is to stop Avengers being a series of 20 cliffhangers every issue mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. then continue the next issue with 20 more cliffhangers mm-hmm. like it, you ha- I think you have to work within the format to a degree before you explode the format I think if you just explode the format and I think this is what Hickman is doing is doing it from a sense of you guys all know the cliches right so I can ignore the cliches and go beyond the cliches right. and not acknowledge the cliches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think by doing that, I think he's removing himself so much from the traditional storytelling method right. that it doesn't necessarily work as a standalone story. I think the people for whom it works for are the audience that he's um, the more clo- most closely matches his experience. Uh, and I think that's great because for them, he's writing at their level. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like he's not writing above or below; he's writing at their level, so it completely works for them. And so there is no, you know, the idea of oh, slow down there, Hickman. Maybe you might want to add a bit more context. You can totally see why they're like, listen, old man. Right. Right. Well, yeah, and it may be. It may be. It's very much. Yeah, that, I think that that probably makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> to me, it sort of feels a little bit like I made the comparison to Lost, I think, a couple of podcasts ago. But I'm like, oh, no, it, in a way, it really is like Lost in that there are those people for whom, you know, they have faith in the storytelling and they're coming back to see what's going on, when the answers are going to be revealed. And then there are those people for whom they're like, yeah, I'm like, I've been in for you know, three episodes slash two seasons slash four seasons and I'm totally aware this is never going to this is never going to wrap up. Like this is just this is just it, it's not a, it's there's a lot more desperation going on behind the scenes than than you would think. There's a lot of flailing about. So. Hey, I, I I've got a question spinning off of your lost mansion. Mm-hmm. Are you watching the following? No, I'm not. The Kevin Bacon show? No, it sounded uh, kind of hilarious, though, I have to say. I don't I, tr- I'm loving it. Really? Like, not even sarcastically. Uh-huh. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. It's lost. <laughs> like, Jeff, watch an episode. Really? It's lost. Mm-hmm. It is. What if Lost had exactly the same narrative structure, but it wasn't about guys on an island. It's about a serial killer. Right, right. Yeah, like, I... Like, yeah. Same flashback structure with pretty much the same flashback noise. Really? Oh, Seriously, it's it's that it lifts it that much. Um, I am loving it though, mm. really genuinely. In part because of the speed. Mm. Within five episodes, they have set up the set up a specific uh, incarnation of an idea, mm-hmm. and then completely fucked it up. Mm. Which I kind of love. Like, okay. but you can tell the sixth episode is going to be the one where they're like, "Yeah, you know, you thought that's what the show was about. It's kind of not." Mm. Mm. but not such a way that's like you know everything you know is wrong 
but in the sense of of things will get fucked up when you're around fucked up people. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I have to say that sounds it sounds attractive to me. My biggest <coughs> and I love James Pur- Purefoy. God knows. So I was strongly tempted to look into the show anyway. It's been a little hard for me just because I think didn't Kevin Williamson create it or co-create it he or did. something? He did, and he wrote at least the first two episodes. Okay, and I tend to think of him as like one of the biggest lunkheads ever. So um, it's very, you know, I'm like, oh there's, no, 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 no. Some, there's some lunkheadishness about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to be said, it's one of those things where this is going to sound really weird, but you could watch like the first two episodes and then you could probably skip to the fifth. Uh-huh. Not, not that nothing happens in third and fourth because a lot does. Mm-hmm. And it is very clearly a serial narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the fifth episode for me was so willing to just throw away everything it had built up to that point mm-hmm. that it was the one where I was like, oh, this has gone from a fun enough, a very dark show Mm-hmm. to a show that might be really interesting. Huh. huh. Okay. Well, that would be that would be great. I have to admit in the back of my mind I've always had my own very <laughs> my own serial killer meets lost kind of idea, so it, if nothing else it'll be worth checking out in that regard. Um so I can I, Yeah, I I really like it. But I I've noticed that Lost Remember when everyone was like we're creating post Lost television? Right. Right. We're now in the era of post-lost television, and it turns out that what Lost gave the world was flashbacks. <laughs> yes. Because um, the following does that, and also Once Upon a Time is also completely the Lost structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here is narrative A, here is narrative B, we'll flip between the two. Right, right. And they will have a thematic tie. Yes, exactly. Well, it's, you know, it, it seems like a very elegant structure. Uh, it's a very elegant structure in terms of... Uh, for hourly television, especially, I think you know. So yeah, it's it's uh, I for what it's worth, I think that, and I I hate to say this because I'm not a massive fan of the show. I think Once Upon a Time actually does the narrative A, narrative B with thematic tie better than the following does. Mm-hmm. The following does the following basically does flashbacks as flashback. Right, right. It just uses flashbacks really heavily. Right. Well, and I th- I think it would be yeah. It seems very smart and fun I think I, I, I think that's it there's something that's sort of one of the things that drives me so crazy when you look back on people who are unwilling to like use flashbacks in their work in, in comic books is, is like it just works so well you know there's a reason why uh, in media res became such a popular story structure you know it's like you start at the point of action then you can flash back and show how things got that way then you can come back and move forward and that's just one basic variation that makes sure that you don't start in the middle of something super dull you know mm-hmm. um which but i think i think many people did it badly if that makes sense like i, th- yeah. I think flashbacks got a bad name because of a lot of really bad flashbacks probably probably and that's why people stay away from it. Um, yeah, it could be. It could be. And Lord knows there is sort of a... When you look back at some old Marvel comics, you find yourself going like, wow, wow, these suckers were really built on a formulaic template. That's for sure, you know. Exactly. The the essential volumes are not the greatest for... Yeah. For them. I read, um, not a Marvel essential, but the showcase World's Finest Ooh. the other wow. day. Um, and there's a formula. Really? Really, yeah, really, really, really formula. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, Batman, have you found this mystery that you can't solve alone? Why don't you put a call into your friend Superman? He'll come and fly over or something. But don't worry, it'll be your smarts that'll save the day. But Superman will just do the heavy lifting. And... <laughs> Let's all laugh. Yeah. Barbie, not it's one of those things that really does not stand up to really like 20 of them in a row because you're like, oh, I get it. Right, um, right. I, I know where right. this one's going to go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, an alien has crash landed Gotham? Okay. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Moving on. Hey, so the other thing I was going to say when you're talking about um, profit and essentially saying, like, it's a very acquired taste, but if you have acquired the taste, it's great for you. Yes. Uh, I read uh, The Strangers over the weekend. The Strangers is Oni Press's free comic book day released mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also a new series from Chris Roberson and Scott Kolchuk. Hmm. Jeff, did you like in the nineteen sixties and seventies the sort of television that would have be a Quinn Martin production? I did indeed. The Strangers is going to make you very, very, very happy. Really? I swear to God, like Chris Roberson could have hit a Quinn Martin production somewhere in this book, <laughs> and you'd be like, exactly. <laughs> It's spectacular. It like it really. It's very much my comfort zone. I, mm. I I really 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 liked it. It is campy is the wrong word, mm-hmm. but it is. It's got a sort of very knowing pop thrill mm-hmm. to it that I I really 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 appreciated. And yeah, it's it it it's a Quid Martin production, Jeff. It's really good. People. <laughs> People who are heading into your um, your comic source and free comic book day, which is May, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it is. It's like the first weekend of May. It's May fourth. Mm. Um, pick it up. Mm-hmm. Make a point of picking up the strangers. Hmm. Okay, I will it's definitely not, look for that. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. People who don't. People who like your comics super serious mm-hmm. are probably not going to be like, "What is this?" Why, why are you not explaining their superpowers? Who, who are these bad guys? What the fuck? Other people are going to be like, oh my god, I love you. I want to take you home and marry you a comic. <laughs> so, but you're saying that the people who are like, what the fuck, this makes no sense, are not you and me when looking at a Hickman comic, but rather you and me when looking at this comic? No, wait, I'm okay. <laughs> What I'm saying is you and I will like this, and people with similar sensibilities to us will think this comic is great. Okay. All right. I think I followed you now. Jeff Lester. That makes sense. Well, it's just you were saying. You're like, I'm like, you're like, yeah, if you're the sort of person who says, and then you basically say everything that people are accusing us of saying, and or we are saying with regards to other books by other people. That's true. I meant it it for the strangers. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, (laughs) irony. I... Yes. Sorry, on you. No, no, no. You should go because I've got I, this little thing. Mm-hmm. The reason that I was at the Oni Press office was to pick up a copy of Bad Machinery, which is coming out really soon. Oh like, yeah, they, which you mentioned on you mentioned on Twitter too was something that you. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Bad Machinery is a print collection of John Allison's webcomic mm-hmm. uh, about six school kids in the UK who have a tendency to get involved in very mysterious adventures and mysteries that they have to solve. Mm. I adored it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I, I. He did Scary Go Round a while ago. Mm-hmm. Scary Go Round stopped. 
I w- this is when I'm dating myself. I think Scarecrow Road stopped like a couple of years ago, but it might be longer. Um, and Bad Machinery is his replacement, and it is. I really like. I dug the shit out of. It. I thought it was spectacular. So much so that I was like, Kate, you have to read this. You have to read this. This is really funny. I adore this. This is hilarious. And Kate reads it and she's like, it's weird. <laughs> I was so it might be too weird for people. Like, it might be too much of a very particular type of sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably very true. There is actually a glossary at the back for the British terms used. Uh... Uh, which is always one of those, like could this be a problem? <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I thought it was really, really funny. Great. So again, I, I highly recommend that. Thank now you can get back to talking about what you were talking about. Oh, well, I was just going to say, as long as we're talking recommendations, uh, this is a this is something that I found out last week on the internet, although it had been mentioned on The Beat earlier, and I'm seeing it sort of mentioned at a few places on Twitter. I do not know why this is not, like, the biggest news of the internet, but... Uh, David Boswell's Reed Fleming, The World's Toughest Milkman. He has put his comics up in PDF and CBR format on his website for a read-what-you-like, pay-what-you-like basis. Um, if you go to readfleming.com slash downloads.html, and Reed Fleming is spelled R-E-I-D, F-L-E-M-I-N-G. Reed Fleming, World's Toughest Milkman, is... I've talked about it at several It's one of your seminal comics. It is. It is absolutely a comic that rewrote my map way back when. And the fact that you can get a CBR download of Heartbreak Comics, which I think is absolutely a phenomenal standalone graphic novel, um, back from the ages... Back from, like, I don't know, what, like, 88, 89, something crazy like that... Uh, People should actually, if you want something, and you can get it free if you if you uh, have any sort of CBR reading or PDF reading capabilities at all, and go pick these up, and then preferably give him lots of money. But if you don't believe me, check them out and then give him lots of money because it is fantastic that this stuff's available um, so easily. Jeff, I feel like we're actually doing like a reasonably well-considered intelligent podcast for once <laughs> what what has happened i know i'm not sure I, i'm like we're he- you know we're at the 145 mark maybe we should wrap it up for all goes horribly wrong yeah maybe maybe well there's a few do, do you have any last minute things you want to say uh let me just say that i i did enjoy uh witch doctor malpractice number four i am assuming that most people who are following it are probably following it anyway and it's not necessarily it's like the worst jumping on point (laughs) ever but I'm still continuing to like for those people who have extra money and want something that's kind of uh, I don't know like they're like I want to basically read uh, a supernatural version of Doctor Who I guess Uh, pick up this book it is so witty and clever and smart and really well done and entertaining um, I, I'd say Brandon Seifert's really great, right? Yeah, yeah, he really like, is phenomenal. He's one of those, why are more people not paying attention to Brandon Seifert? I, I don't know. I really don't get it. I kind of think that this book is one of those things where not enough people are reading it, you know? Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, and it, I find that a shame. But I really do think that Seifert's work, especially on this... um, I don't know. I think there's also a, l- a certain level of if if 
Dan DiDio is right, and essentially the marketplace is not in a particularly whimsical headspace, I guess. Which doctor is going to strike a lot of people as not their cup of tea? But I, I guess I can see that he did. I remember I told you he did the spectacular two issue Doctor Who run as well. Right, right, which you mentioned, and I'm just like, yeah, I can see that being just right up his uh, alley. The thing is, is I honestly believe Seifert is going to be huge someday because he has his ideas. He works really hard. He does the research. Uh, the thing that knocks me out about Witch Doctor is, is for somebody like who's been tinkering with sort of a um, supernatural novel with like a heavy science background for a while. Like, and I mean, I've been totally, when I say tinkering, I mean fucking off and not doing anything about, but I'm really aware of like how much, how, how much you can really do with that if you're willing to do the research and Seifert does the research, but all in the services of making a phenomenal story. It would be a shame. Hey, yes. Hmm? I was going to say, are you reading his Hellraiser? I'm not just because I'm a little brain dead and not entirely up on that uh, universe as it goes, but I really should because I enjoyed his use of the Hellraiser analogs in this latest miniseries. The reason I ask is not because I am a massive Hellraiser fan, because I am not, mm -hmm. but because I, maybe last month, mm -hmm. basically started his, like, Hellraiser year one, mm. like, relaunch. Mm -hmm. uh, so you might want to see if you can find a back issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't even I can't even remember the name of the series. It's a miniseries. It's a four-issue miniseries, and I want, because I, I think that the fourth issue is solicited in this month's previews. Oh, okay. Which is why I'm like, I guess the last issue must come out last month. Mm -hmm. So yes, pick okay. it up. I will. I think, I I think you'd like it. it. Good, yeah. Brand, brand cipher people. Um, yeah. up there with Al Ewing for me is the more people should be paying attention to him. Why aren't you all? You all shoot, and then JF9 can get really upset when they write a book that we don't want to read anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The complicated. Although I have to say, did you read uh, the excerpt of Al Ewing's novel, which he put on the internet yesterday? No, I did not. Oh, you should. I think it's called thefictionalman.com. Mm -hmm. I will. I will check that and then email you with the correct URL. Um, he has done at least three novels before. I know, I know. He's a prolific bastard. And I haven't picked yeah. any of them up. I didn't know until I started following his website and I'm like, holy shit, you know? Um, I am I am part way into his first, mm -hmm. which Jeff, I, I actually, I'm glad we're talking about this now because I keep meaning, like when I'm reading it, I'm like, Jeff Lester should read this. Jeff Lester <laughs> should read this. So yeah, you really should. Okay. Uh, you, you should write down his novels. But the, fiction, the excerpt of The Fictional Man was great. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's thefictionalman.com. There's an excerpt which is, I think, the start of chapter one. Mm -hmm. um, people, go and read it. Yeah. It's, it's really, really, really good stuff. Check out our show notes at Savage Critic. I will make a point to, if Graham is not correct about that link, I'll make sure that when he sends me the link, I'll pass it on in our show notes. Okay, what else have you been reading, Jeff Lester? Uh, I picked up uh, the second issue of Black Beetle by uh, Francesco Francavia. Is that right? Yeah, Francesco yes. Francavia. And it is gorgeous. I was very coolish about the first issue. Picked up the second one just because I really liked the, honestly... <laughs> because the, it was gorgeous? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, because it was gorgeous. I liked it, I liked it a lot more. I mean, it's still sort of... You know, honestly, it's it's a tough book to... If it was, like, 
two ninety nine, I'd be like, oh yeah, you pick, you know, sort of the same way that I am with DC. Is like pick it up just for the art. At three ninety nine, where I'm like, I'm not sure there's enough of an actual story here, and I think. Um, Frank Avia does, I mean, he does some amazing stuff with his full, like, he's got some f- full page and, and dual page splashes that are just lovely. He may, he might have, like, may, at least one page too many in this issue of that, but they're, it's just gorgeous. He, he, he's an astounding artist. He is. He's an astounding artist, and he's got such a superb sense of, uh, his art and his color, you know. I think the other yeah. thing that he really makes it sing is the stuff that he does with the color in here. Just, just a phenomenal looking book. Uh, it's it's definitely one of those like yeah, if you're feeling flush with cash, because um, there's not there's not a lot of there there. Um, but boy, is it really really good looking. Um, and then finally, I mean, I guess there's some other things that I could. I don't. I know that I've been reading stuff uh, like on the iPad that I'd have to dig up, but let's just keep it with the stuff that I read in print. Um, the seventeenth issue of the Flash, the finale to Guerrilla Warfare, and um, I think the issue where I Jeff, I'm just going to jump off. Really, yeah. I actually completely forgot to buy it. I only uh, realized what I got home last night. I was like, oh, Flash came out. I didn't buy that at all. Yeah, the the issue. I think I you know I had like a strong run where I did not dig it, and then. Uh, Manipul came back and I'm like okay it was great and then last issue was pretty good this one was just even with Manipul doing the art all the way through and the occasional very lovely bit I just like the way that he draws characters like I just like honestly if this if if the Flash was Barry Allen romance comics and it was just him being torn between uh, Iris Allen or uh, Iris West I guess and um uh, what's her name? Patty Spivet. Yeah, Patty Spivet. I would, I would read the shit out of it. I mean, as it is, as a superhero comic that's got the rogues jammed into it and the gorilla army, and was unsatisfying in like every level. I think I'm just gonna jump off. But uh, well, it was unsatisfying in every level, Jeff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I am going to quickly add. Then I also got Angel in Faith issue. Oh shit! What issue is it? Issue 19. Oh. Um. I have been saying this for a while. Mm-hmm. People who really liked Joss Whedon's television shows, mm-hmm. uh, specifically Buffy and Angel, if you're not reading Angel and Faith, you really should. Right. It is really, really, really great. And at this point, is deep enough in continuity porn, I think, mm-hmm. that, that you'd really get something about it. Um, it has always been very much interested in the history of Giles. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular storyline, of which this is the fourth and final part, is very much about the history of Giles. Mm. Very, very, very much. To the point where you get flashbacks of young Giles. Uh. And find why he became a Watcher. Mm. Um, as great as that is, mm-hmm. what I really, really, really like is where it leaves Angel at the end of the issue. Hmm. Uh, which is a really lovely place leading into the last storyline of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really well done comics. And as it has done through its entire run, kind of pisses on the Buffy comic. <laughs> the Buffy comic has been so much better than season eight was. Right. But Angel and Faith ha- has just been consistently great. Right. And this is Jeff Parker, right? 
No, this is uh, Christos Gage and Rebecca Isaacs. Oh, oh I Jeff see. Parker's doing uh, the Willows miniseries. Uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, I got it confused. You know, as long as we mention Christos Gage, I, I got to throw this in really, really quickly. Thanks to a uh, whatnot who sent me a free digital code. I read the Avengers Annual um, that Christos well, Gage wrote with the Vision, right? With the Vision, which is this amazing, not even at all um, covered up, uh, obscured attack on essentially work for hire exploitation. And I am really boggled by it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is, is it worth reading? Like, uh, should I buy it? Because after you said that, I'm like, I really like Christmas Cage, and that sounds like a very interesting thing to do. You know, the problem is, is, of course, for an annual, I feel like it's overpriced. You know, like, as a freebie, yes, if it's on sale, Absolutely. If you get someone to like lend you or send you the code, definitely do. It's a little hard for me because it's kind of a because it's like a five dollar book, right? Yeah, it's like a five buck book. It's got to be like four ninety nine. And Gage is doing the thing that I find fascinating is he's doing a couple of things with the Vision, as it seems like everyone is doing whenever they do stuff with Vision and Scarlet Witch, which is basically explaining why they've been acting the way that they've been acting in Brian Bendis books. You know, um, it seems to be a cottage industry. But the thing that I find fascinating that Gage takes it to the next level is is that um, the villain of the Avengers Annual is this guy who uh, I think is a Stark employee who is pissed off and trying to destroy... I want to say Stark Industries, but maybe also the Avengers. It's been like a month since I've read it because he felt that he was completely exploited and basically used like a cog by Stark Industries. And the Vision is basically able to uh, um, emphasize with him and is therefore able to sort of track him down and have the little showdown and stuff. And it's an amazingly, like emotionally packed open and and again it's not even subtext it's totally about yeah these big corporations they take you they use you and then they throw you aside as soon as they're done and i'm like dude what's going on with christos gage because i'm I'm soon oh i i can answer that one can you he wrote avengers academy which is then cancelled out from under him for marvel now and replaced with avengers arena where the same characters died (sighs) okay so, but is he still writing for Marvel? He still is, isn't he? I thought he had like I, a couple of books in there. I think that might be his last Marvel book, the oh, Avengers. Okay. Uh, maybe if so, that's what it feels like. It feels like an old, old school. No, wait, what am I saying? No, he's writing uh, Avenging Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's where I was like, no, he can't be gone yet because I don't know. And anyway, Christos Gage, I, I, he's another guy. If we can throw him in the trifecta. Oh no, he's not uh, as uh, daring and audacious as Al Ewing, and I think maybe he's not just, um, you know, he doesn't. Get... I, I would, I would argue that he's more middle of the road. He's more, yeah, he is more middle of the road, yeah, Brandon. But um, yeah, he's but he's just great straight up superhero stuff. I've been yeah. catching up with his Avengers Academy, and it's a really good book. Yeah, he's really, I think he's really, really reliable. He's done a variety of things, and I'm always impressed at sort of. He writes the kind of superhero comics that I really like, which are really, really heavily rooted in character first, I guess, and then figuring out how to work in stories that sort of... Did you ever read Avengers Academy? I didn't. I didn't. I read a couple of his, like, he did that weird uh, House of M follow-up 
series. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's done a lot. He's been all over the place. He first came to my attention when he did that weird Deadpool four-issue miniseries, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something. And he's just, he's a, he's a good writer, I think. The, the reason I'm asking is I've been catching up with Avengers Academy through the library, through the collections. Mm. It's a really strong, very Marvel book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you like old school Marvel, you'll love that book. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard various things like that. I really, really should. Um, yeah. Two, okay, two other things I want to talk about really quickly, and then we we will go, dear yes. listeners. We'll do two hours, and we'll hit it and quit. Um, <laughs> Young Avengers issue two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am really. This sounds terrible, Jeff. I'm really sad that's not a three ninety nine book because it means that no one can give you their digital code. Yes, exactly. Young Avengers is is really nice. It's yeah. a really good book. It's a really playful book, but playful in the sense of playful with characters, but playful with the format. Mm. Uh, at some point, for reasons that I will not fully explain, so that the people can who are listening can find out for themselves, um, one of the characters ends up kind of trapped in limbo mm-hmm. and it's freed by Loki by taking him outside of the panels oh wow and they, they walk around the page outside of the panels wow which is just lovely I mean mm-hmm. that's just a really nice it's a nice gimmick that because it appears for a page is not overused right and there, there's not enough like you know I am doing meta commentary to make you think oh shut up it's just like <laughs> Oh, that's cute. And then it's over. And then it's over and back in. Yeah. Which is really nice. Um, however, as good as that was, it was completely beaten for me by Hawkeye issue eight. Oh, yeah? Which is the... Um, which shouldn't work. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Matt Fraction can be a very smug writer. Mm-hmm. Matt Fraction's Hawkeye can be an incredibly smug book. Mm-hmm. Matt Fraction writing Hawkeye as the lovable fuck-up who gets hoodwinked into doing something he shouldn't by a femme fatale, even though his ex-lovers are telling him not to do it, sounds like a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. It just does. When David Aja is drawing it... Oh, God. It is amazing. Mm. It is... I mean, David Aja has, has never been a bad artist. Yes. His character acting in this issue, in this issue mm-hmm. is sublime. Mm-hmm is just, like, you do make that noise. You make the, oh, noise. It's such a beautiful book. And the fact that the femme fatale's backstory slash meta-commentary comes in the form of fake comic covers drawn by Annie Wu, which have been shared online a lot already. Oh, man, really? Yeah, it just makes it spectacular. And also that the comics then play into the story mm-hmm. is a nice piece of Fraction doing meta-commentary. Mm. Um, it's just great. It really is. Like, I I really enjoyed Hawkeye issue 7, but was always kind of like, okay, I'm kind of over Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, issue 6, I don't know, there's something about it that was like, yeah, okay, I, I can get the... I get enough of it now. I feel like I've, I've got it. I feel like I understand it. I feel like I've had my fill. Right. And issue seven was like, you know, it's this charity issue, it's the rushed issue, but there's something about its shoddiness that really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And then this issue is just like, fuck, you've drawn me back in again. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like I feel like I should have had enough of this comic. I feel like I, I know it's shtick, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it just works. Mm. That's fantastic. It's like, man, it, yeah, it really does. It just works. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, Marvel had a really good week this week. Yeah, sounds like sounds like that's really uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, so for people who can buy Marvel comics, um, good news. There is some amazing two ninety nine books. It sounds like <laughs> for, for people who can buy Marvel comics and or Jeff Lester, um, I don't know. Maybe someone's going to buy you the trade and then send it to your something. <laughs> you know that, that that's okay. I I appreciate it, but honestly, uh, I'm being kept alive. Uh, you know, my my Marvel habit being kept alive entirely via the generosity of people who are giving me things that they just, like, already have. You do have. rely on the kindness of strangers. I do. I really do. Which, uh, you know, makes me wish I was a lot more uh, familiar with Tennessee Williams because then I could, like, completely mangle that in a way that you would find painful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone. I totally, totally appreciate it. I was thinking about it the other day because, of course, fucking, I know I uh, we have to go, but, like, next time... <laughs> When we do a whole bunch of things that we need to do, such as answer questions and things, I will probably have that Hookjaw annual finished, and I can talk about it. But sweet God, do I love that book. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were thinking about it because David Brothers asked you how you were doing with your Marvel boycott. And right. And sarcastically say it. Other people buy the comics for him. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually kind of like, why aren't people sending me comics? And I'm like, dude, I have no idea. Because you, you know, I guess you have to ask, basically. Um, oh, I think, yeah, but let's face it, David's going to Emerald City, like, tomorrow. Yeah. He'll, people will give him comics. Oh, he's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, David Brothers is uh, talented and charismatic enough that I'm not that worried about him. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be fine. Um, but that, done that note. Indeed. Um, l- let me, let that not diminish my gratitude to uh, the people who continue to send me stuff uh, that that allows us to, to have things to talk about every week. Uh, I, I'm also going to say, people who are doing that, I think is really, really, really nice. I, 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 I am also grateful, even though, like, can I be grateful for other people's goodwill? I'm going, I'm going to say that I can. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's really nice. I, I completely applaud you for doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I we thank you richly. So, Graham, did you want to uh, sing us in? I guess. Oh, God, are we doing the Bizarro thing again? Yeah, exactly. You said you were going to. No, because I've already done the hello thing at the start. Bye! (laughs) Fair enough. I was expecting you to be all, hello! No, the start of the podcast is me saying hello. That's what you should do. You should start the recording with me being like, Jeff, I'm going to try something else. Oh, I see.